acknowledge who you are. And we ask this morning now as we pause before your word that your Holy Spirit would be at work in our hearts so that we would understand what it is that you are saying to us. Help us to hear your clear voice today, Lord. Strip away everything that is not you so that we might know the truth. For we know that it is the truth that sets us free. It is the truth that sanctifies us. The truth is our standard for living, and it is our guide. And so we would hear from you today, Lord. That is our prayer in Christ's name. Thanks, folks. You can have a seat. Identity is a big deal today. You don't have to watch TV or listen to the news or listen to all the blather that's out there around us to know that identity is, is the topic of conversation everywhere we go, whether it's identity politics or gender identity. Those are certainly the hottest topics. But not far behind is identity theft. And just in the last month or so, a new study has come out that has said that 47% of U.S. consumers have experienced some kind of identity theft in the last two years. I'm guessing that in a group of this many people, there's probably several here that have had their email hacked or their debit card and checking account hacked. It's happening all of the time. Uh, There has been a 61% increase in identity theft just over the past year. 2020 with the pandemic, everybody's shopping online, and I don't know, I guess the hackers have more time at home to do their thing or what it is, but it's gone up 61% just over the last year to the tune of costing consumers $26 billion just in the past year. But that's only one angle of identity theft. Somebody's hacking your information and trying to steal your money. But another angle is someone stealing someone's identity and then posing as someone else to try to scam you. How many people have found out in the last four or five years that they have long-lost relatives in Nigeria that they didn't know about? Maybe royalty, a prince, or, you know, just send us a check for a $4.99 and we will release. That's just to cover the fees and the tariffs and you'll get your million-dollar inheritance. Uh, It's happening all the time, all over the place. Someone is trying to scam you. It's happening so much so, in fact, that Uh, There was a lady in Portland, Oregon in 2019 that lost her uh, ID. Her purse was stolen. She lost her wallet, her driver's license, her credit cards, and all those things. And a couple of weeks later, a Portland police officer found her wallet and found her ID. And so he found her number through the police database, and he called her so that he could return her ID. She didn't answer the phone because she didn't recognize the number. He left a voicemail that she did not return. So he decided to text her and said, hey, my name is so-and-so. I'm a Portland police officer. I found your ID. I was wondering if you'd like to meet up so that I can return it to you. And she responded by saying, no way, creep. No way I'm meeting you in a dark alley somewhere to get my ID back. So the police officer took his phone, took a selfie in uniform in front of his cruiser holding her ID so that she could see it. And then she texted and said, oh, I'm so sorry, I didn't think you were really a police officer. And, you know, they met up and she got her ID back. 
The interesting thing is, I was reading this article a couple of weeks ago, the interesting thing was that they interviewed the police officer, and he said, you know, she was wise to be skeptical. Because there's so much of this going on, there's so many scammers out there, we've learned to be skeptical, haven't we? How many people are more skeptical of who people say they are now than you were 10 years ago? Right? Because we don't want to get scammed. We don't want to get taken advantage of. We don't want to get ripped off or, or harmed in any way or our families. And so we've learned to be suspicious. And we've learned to be cautious. And it has spilled over into our spiritual lives as well. See, for 2,000 years, people have debated and argued and speculated about the identity of Jesus Christ. If you're a Christ follower here this morning and you've ever tried to have a conversation with your family member or neighbor or coworker or friend who doesn't know Christ, it's probably likely that at some point in the conversation they've said something like, I, I just, I'm not sure, I don't know. I don't know if Jesus is who he says he is. I don't know if that's really true. We've learned to be skeptical. Who is Jesus? Some people think or believe in therapist Jesus who helps us cope with our problems and tells us not to be hard on ourselves or gentle Jesus who is meek and mild and walks around barefoot or hippie Jesus who tells us to give peace a chance and reminds us that all we need is love or yuppie Jesus who tells us to reach for the stars and and realize our potential. Or Guru Jesus, who is an inspirational teacher who believes in us and helps us find our center. Who is Jesus? Well, I want to suggest to you this morning that this is the exact reason why what we celebrate on Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday is so important. You see, we're celebrating, by gathering here today on Palm Sunday, we are celebrating what we call the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem over 2,000 years ago. And next Sunday on Easter, we'll celebrate the fact that Jesus rose from the grave after he died on the cross for our sin. And what I want you to see this week and next week is that with these two events, Jesus confirmed his identity. Now, if we read the Gospels, we know that Jesus walked around on this earth for 30-plus years, and he did a lot of miracles, and he taught many times while he was walking on the earth. But most of that was not seen by large numbers of people. Now, there were a few miracles, like the feeding of the 5,000, obviously. There were a lot of people there that saw him do that. But there were other things, like healing the blind man, that only 10 or 15 people probably saw. And even in his teaching, there were only a few times when Jesus directly said, this is who I am. And so when we come to this point, when Jesus is approaching this point in his life, he is very close to the time when he is going to go to the cross. Most people did not know who he was. Some people may have known about him. They may have known that he had a few people that followed him around, that some strange things kind of happened when he was around. Some people said they were miracles, but they didn't know. They were skeptical. 
But in these two events, Jesus confirmed his identity to all, including us. So this morning, we're going to look at the triumphal entry in Mark chapter 11. And as we look at it, we are going to see, we are going to learn that Jesus is the true and rightful king. And what I want you to be thinking about is if we know that he is the true and rightful king, how do we have to respond? Because here's the thing, folks. When you learn something, you have to respond to it. Now you know, and now you have to do something about it. And the same is true of the identity of Jesus Christ. So let's read the first few verses of Mark 11, if you have your Bible. Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. We'll walk through them, and as we do, I'll explain some things for you. Mark 11.1 1 says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, that is Jesus and his disciples, to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. So let me set the stage here, give you some, some uh, geographical and cultural reference points and details that are going to help us understand the impact of Jesus' actions here. This is what happens sometimes. It happens to me. Maybe it happens to you too. We have our Bibles. If you're someone who reads your Bible, you can take your Bible and you can sit down and look at it. And it's two-dimensional, right? It's words on a page. It's black and white. And sometimes we breeze through these passages and we don't even think about what's really happening. But I want you to see what is taking place because how it happens and where it happens is so important for us as we understand that Jesus is the king. Matthew tells us, Matthew records this event as well, and Matthew tells us that Jesus and the disciples were coming to Jerusalem from Jericho to celebrate the Passover. Now, Jericho was 17 miles away from Jerusalem, and it wasn't like us going out on Route 26 or I-95. It wasn't a smooth path. It was over the hills and through the mountains. It was a rugged trek. It was a 17-mile trek on stony ground over hills to get from Jericho to Jerusalem. They get close. They get to Bethany, it says, and Bethany is where Mary and Martha and Lazarus live. If you know some of those names, you recognize them. Lazarus was the one that Jesus raised from the dead, you remember. Mary and Martha came to him and said, Father, our, our brother has died. Please come and help us, or he's very sick. And by the time he got there, Lazarus had died, but Jesus raised him to life. This is where they are, in Bethany. And Bethany is located on the Mount of Olives. And the Mount of Olives is a ridge it's about two and a half miles long. It's a 3,000 feet elevation, and it looks down on the city of Jerusalem, okay? So you're picturing this terrain in your mind. We're in the hills. It's rocky. We're at the village of, Beth of Bethany. We're on the ridge, and we're looking down toward Jerusalem about two miles away. Now, you also need to know that at this point, the Jews have been under the domination of Rome for about 100 years, okay? And the Jews don't have a king anymore. They had a king, but when the Romans conquered them and took over their land, they got rid of the king because they didn't want the Jews making any decisions for themselves. They didn't want them governing themselves. So they got rid of the Jewish king, 
and they put in a Roman governor. And ever since, the Jews have been begging God for a king. Now, if you've been with us the last several weeks, the la- actually, not weeks, the last several months, we've been going through the Old Testament. And after Easter, Tim and I are going to go back and we're going to walk you through those last four books. Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. The last four. We get to Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament. You need to know that between Malachi and Matthew were 400 years when God did not say anything. They're called the 400 silent years. There were no prophets speaking for God. There was no scripture that was written. 400 silent years. So the Jews have been waiting. They've been waiting for a king because in Zechariah chapter 9, Zechariah said, Rejoice, daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, daughter of Jerusalem. Listen to this. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So are you keeping up? Are you keeping track of all these details? So here we are. The Jews have not heard from God for 400 years. For 100 years, they've been under the domination of Rome. And they know that there is a prophecy that one day the king is going to come. And guess where he's going to come from? He's going to come from the Mount of Olives. And guess how he's going to get there? He's going to be on a donkey. Okay? They knew that. The Jews knew this. They're coming to Jerusalem for the Passover, celebrating God delivering them from Egypt and crossing the Red Sea. It was an incredibly important cultural and religious observance for all the Jews. Everybody celebrated the Passover. In fact, Jews today still celebrate the Passover. That's the prophecy. So Jesus pauses. They get to Bethany, and he says to the disciples, Go into the village, find the donkey, bring it to me. Now we're going to see that even this, Jesus is showing who he is. Because verse 3 says, If anyone says to you, Jesus to the disciples, If anyone says, Why are you doing this? Why are you untying the donkey and taking it? Say, The Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at the door, outside, in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. Now Jesus knows that this donkey is right here. He knows that it's tied up outside this house. They're going to find it right when they go in the village. Some people look at this and say, Well, that's no great feat because Jesus probably just arranged with this guy that owned the donkey before You know, when I get here tomorrow, let my guys come in and borrow it and we'll bring it back. But we know that didn't happen. How do we know that that didn't happen? Because Jesus was in Jericho. And how far away was Jericho? 17 miles. I'm I'm getting nervous that you guys aren't remembering all these details. 17 miles. Over the river and through the woods. It was a trek from Jericho. He was not in Bethany last night. Arranging this, he was in Jericho with the disciples. There's no way he could have been there. He knew it was there. He knew the donkey was there tied up outside that house and that the disciples would go and get it and he would tell them the Lord needs it and they would let them go because he's God. 
He knew these things. He knew that's what would happen. Now, if you think about what's happening here a little bit too, think about the guys who are at the house when the disciples come and untie the donkey and take it. Because for them, their donkeys were very, very important. In fact, it was almost a luxury to have a donkey. Because you know what they did not have in Bethany 2,000 years ago? Cars. Do you know what they did have? Donkeys. That's what they had for transportation. If you were wealthy... Jesus didn't have a donkey. Jesus walked everywhere he went. But this guy had a donkey. And not only did this guy have a donkey, this guy had a brand spanking new, fresh off the lot donkey. How do we know that? Because verse 2 said nobody had ever even sat on it. It still had the new donkey smell. It was brand new. It's fur. I, I don't know if it has fur hair, but whatever it was, was smooth and shiny Nobody had even ridden on this donkey tied up in front of the house. Now imagine if you were mowing your lawn. I'd like to be mowing my lawn right now. That would be great. In a couple of months, imagine you're mowing your lawn. You've just come back from Patterson Toyota, and you have a brand new 2021 Toyota Camry XLE sitting in the yard. I mean, you can't even mow straight because you can't take your eyes off it. You're looking at it, it's all shiny and new, all the chrome and the rubber and the paint. It's gorgeous. And two scruffy-looking guys that look like they just came back from a mountain trek walk up your driveway and open the door and start to get in it to drive away. What are you going to do? You're going to say, see ya, have a good trip. What are you going to do? Hey, what are you doing? You can't take that. That's mine. That's what would be happening here. Put yourself in that situation. That's what's happening when these disciples come to take the donkey. Hey, what are you doing? What did the disciples do? They said they did just what Jesus told them to. Tell them the Lord needs it and we'll bring it back. And they said, okay. Jesus had prepared this. Verse 7. So they brought the colt to Jesus, and they threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the field. Now this seems very, very strange. Why are they putting their coats in the dirt? Why are they cutting down branches? But this was actually an ancient custom. They would throw down garments or use leaves as a carpet whenever there was a royal procession. If you were in town and the king came to your town, you would put something down on the road to cover it for him to walk on. It was a sign of submission. And that's what they did. They recognized that Jesus was the king. They knew the prophecy. He's coming from the Mount of Olives. He's going to be riding on a donkey. And they put their coats down on the ground. Verse 9. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. So here's Jesus. He's riding on the donkey for two miles. He's coming down the hill, off the ridge, into the city. And the road to Jerusalem is full of people. Why is the road to Jerusalem full of people? This is a test. Because it's Passover. Because it's Passover and every Jew celebrates the Passover. And every Jew that is within any kind of reasonable distance is not only going to celebrate Passover, they're going to come to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. Now, it's kind of hard to get the exact details because it was so long ago, but as far as we know, historians tell us that there was 80 to 100,000 people that lived in Jerusalem at the time of Jesus. So a pretty good-sized city for the day, 80 to 100,000. But at Passover, it was estimated that up to 2 million people came to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. So there are crowds of people on the road There are people in front of Jesus traveling down to Jerusalem. There's people behind him. They're all over the place. And the crowds in Jerusalem would have heard the commotion. How do we know that they would have heard the commotion? Because there were tens of thousands of people on the road. And what were they doing? What does the verse say? They were shouting. They were shouting, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, If we use Hosanna in our culture today or in our churches or in our music sometimes, we might use that word. We use it as a word of praise, Hosanna. But the word actually has its root in the Hebrew language, and it's not a song of praise. It's a cry of rescue. Hosanna really means, please save us. Please save us. So now you have the scene, right? Hopefully it's a little bit more three-dimensional than it was a few minutes ago. You have Jesus. He's on the donkey. He's fulfilling the prophecy. He started at the Mount of Olives, and he's coming down the ridge and down the hill into Jerusalem. And he is surrounded by crowds of people, and they're crying out what? save us, please save us. Why are they doing that? Because they're under the domination of Rome and they're looking for a king. And they know the prophecy. Now, one more little tidbit of information. Donkeys walk at approximately three to four miles an hour. And you can trust me because I googled it. Three to four miles an hour. At best... This is a young donkey, and he has a full-grown man sitting on him, and he's surrounded by crowds of people that are shouting. And the reason why I want you to see that is this. We We can read these 10 verses in our Bibles. We can read these 10 verses in like a minute, right? And then we move on to the next verses. This was not two or three minutes. This was a half an hour. This was 45 minutes. This could have been an hour. By the time this donkey in this crowd walks down this rocky path, this ridge, two miles into Jerusalem, 
This isn't over in a flash, folks. This is a half. This could have been as long as our whole church service. This is all going on. Now, when Matthew records it, he says this in Matthew 21, verse 10. When he, that is when Jesus, entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? So their acknowledgement of who Jesus was caught the attention of the whole city. He is the son of David. He is the promised one. He is the king. As they got closer and closer and the crowds grew and the uproar grew and there are more and more people, thousands of people shouting, please save us. This is the king. Please save us. Everybody in, in the city was like, what is going on? Who is this guy? This is Jesus. He's the king. Folks, Jesus is the true and rightful king. He is over all. He's the king of Jerusalem. He's the king of this world. And he must be acknowledged as the king of our lives. Remember a few minutes ago I said, I hope that you learned something here today. But then you not only have to learn it, you have to decide how you're going to respond to it. So how do we acknowledge that Jesus is the king? How do we do that? Well, listen to how John responded to his vision of King Jesus in Revelation 1. You remember John writes Revelation God gives him this vision of all of the horrifying things that are going to happen when Christ returns to judge the earth at the end of time. But before he does that, he gives John a vision of Jesus as the king. Revelation 1.12 says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. And in his right hand, he held seven stars. And from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Listen to what John says. When I saw him, I fell at his feet though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not. I am the first and the last in the living one, I died, and behold, I'm alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. So how do we respond to King Jesus? We fall on our faces. We worship. That's the only way to acknowledge Jesus as the king. We worship him, and we give him all. Hey, where are you going with my donkey? The Lord needs it. What do you say? What do you say when King Jesus comes to you and says, I need this? What are you going to say? You're going to say no? We do, don't we? Folks, listen. Jesus, who owns everything, 
and needs nothing, gave it all up to ride into the city on a donkey and die for you and me. And now as the king, he says, I need this. I'm asking you to give it, whatever it is. It may cost you some money. It may cost you some time. In these days, whatever God is asking you to do, it may cost you your job. It may cost you your reputation. Are you willing to use your influence for Jesus? Are you willing to lay everything you have at the feet of Jesus? Because that's what you do for a king. You lay out your heart before him. You lay down your will in complete surrender. You ask him to take everything you are and everything you have and use it to further his kingdom. That's what you do for a king. What do you need to lay down before him today? What is King Jesus asking you to do? That's the question for us. On that day, because of all of the people that were acknowledging that Jesus was king, the whole city was stirred up. And they wanted to know, who is this? Friends, my challenge to you is this. Let's let our community know who Jesus is. Let them hear us crying out to King Jesus, please save us. I've had so many conversations the last few months with, with everything that's going on with people, with, with people from our family from, that are Christ followers who said, what do we do? I, I don't know what to do. Cry out to Jesus. Please save us. I think sometimes God allows us to come to the end of our resources so that we're forced to cry out to him because that's how people know who Jesus is when they see us say, he's the only thing I've got. He's the one I have to trust because I can't fix this. When people see us laying everything at his feet, our lives, our wills, our resources, our jobs, our reputation, when they see us doing it, they'll ask, who is this that you would just lay everything on the line for the truth, for Jesus? That's what this community needs. This community is our responsibility. They need to see us laying everything on the line for our king. That's how you respond to a king, by laying everything down. We need to be sure that they know that we serve King Jesus. Will you join us? Let's just sing that bridge a couple of more times as we close this morning. Father, I pray that this community would see us laying everything at the feet of our King, Jesus. Thank you for bringing the scriptures alive to us this morning. May its truth sink deeply into our souls and may we be willing to give all for his sake.
that others may ask, who is this? That others may know the grace that we have experienced and might become a part of your family through faith. We lay our lives at your feet, Father. Please use us. Use us to do your work, to care for people, to show your love this week. In Christ's name.